today. I believe what the Holy Spirit has for us today is a whole lot, maybe too much for the little time that we have left in our service. And so I'm going to ask that you would pray. You pray that the Holy Spirit teach you and reveal to you the truth that you desperately need in your life. I don't know how your week went. How'd your week go? Wow, that's good. Mine was awful. I just had a tough week. I think it's one of the ways that God is showing me in a painfully but very clear way the limitations of what I bring to the table apart from the Holy Spirit of God. He's showing me very clearly that there's no way that I can do what God has put on my heart to do apart from the Holy Spirit of God. And whether that's being a daddy or being a good neighbor or doing the job that God has given me to do, it is a difficult, even impossible job to do when I try to do that in my own strength. I try to do that apart from the Holy Spirit of God. But I do not think that I am alone in this dilemma and in this situation. I believe that we as a people of God today have created means and methods for doing church that in the end require little, if any help at all, from the Holy Spirit of God. It is possible for us to carry on the mechanics, the logistics of the church and it's months, maybe years down the road that we realize that the Holy Spirit has been absent and his power has been absent all along. It burdens me that we have become a people that don't have to pray and fast for the church to grow. We've got marketing strategies to do that. We don't have to pray for people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. We'll just turn that over to our publicity people. They'll take care of that. The purpose of this message this morning and what I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do is I want to call us as a faith family to say we will not move forward without the presence and power of the Holy Spirit of God. That we will no longer move forward without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. I am absolutely convinced that the greatest hindrance to the advancement of the gospel in our day may just be the attempt of the church to try and to accomplish the work of God apart from the power and presence of God. And is that, that, that conviction, that revelation that brings us to Exodus chapter 33. I want you to listen to what God said to Moses in verses 1 through 3, and then Moses' response in verses 15 and 16. Exodus chapter 33, the Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your offspring I will give it. 
I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. And then he drops the hammer on him when he says these words. But I will not go up among you. I made you a promise and you go. But I'm not going with you. Lest I consume you on the way because you are a stiff-necked people. That's what God said to Moses. Here was Moses' response in verse 15. Moses said to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your, in your going with us that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? God, we need you to go with us. We understand that the thing that makes us different is you. You're the thing that makes us different. You listen to God's words. Go. I promised you. Go. But I'm not going with you. And Moses' response, oh, God, please. Please go with us. My prayer, and I ask you to pray with me, God, help us to consider the depths of these words. Help us in this room to consider the danger of trying to move one foot forward apart from your presence. God, help us to realize what it means to cry out in desperation, to cry out in desperation for the Spirit of God. Give us that that heart, and that desire. And I pray that prayer in Jesus' name. Here's the question for us this morning. I believe that this application is for you in your own spiritual journey as well as for us as a family of faith, a family of believers, a local church body. Here's the question Will we be dependent on ourselves or will we be desperate for his spirit? Will we be dependent on ourselves or will we be desperate for his spirit? Y'all understand the context, I think, of Exodus 33, right? Uh, uh, Refresh your memory real quick. The people of God, the children of Israel, God's chosen people in bondage in Egypt... God sends 10 plagues. It frees the people of Egypt. They're headed toward where God has directed them. They reach the Red Sea. The Egyptian army is chasing. They see a mighty God open up the Red Sea, and they cross over to the other side. When they get to the other side, they're looking in their rearview mirror, and they see the the walls of the Red Sea crash down and, and destroy the Egyptian army. What a great God. And then in their time in the wilderness, they see God's glory and God's provision and God's protection in their lives. They are led by a a, a cloud, a a pillar of fire by day, or a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of clouds by day. This mighty God provides food for them. They don't even have 
to make and prepare their own food. Each morning they get up, God has given them, provided for them bread on the ground. The Bible tells us that God, during this time of wandering in the wilderness, even made their shoes and their clothes not to wear out. What an incredible God. And it was during this time that the representative of the people, Moses, goes up on the mountain to meet with God, to receive the law of God, but not only to receive the law of God, but to receive direction on how to build what they would call a tabernacle, a tent of meeting, a place where God's glory would be displayed, a place where, where God's glory would be in their presence. And while Moses is up on this mountain and he's meeting with God, the people are gathering together and they're combining their resources and they're bringing their gold and their possessions and they take that to make a golden calf. And when Moses comes down from the mountain with the law, the people of God are worshiping and bowing down to a false god, to an idol, to a golden calf. Moses comes down the mountain and he sees this. At the end of chapter 32, it says at that moment, 3,000 men are struck down dead. And then God comes to Moses and he says these words, y'all go ahead and leave this place. You and the people that you brought out of Egypt, go up to the land that I promised you. I want you to, I want you to get this. Don't miss this. God is saying, look, I promised you the land of Canaan. I promised your forefathers. I promised to deliver the people in front of you so that you could take the land. I'm telling you to go and take it. It's all yours, but I'm not going with you. The Israelites are coming face to face with the possibility of life without God, but with all of the blessings that he had promised. And so the question for us is, how would we respond in that same situation? How would we respond? If God said to us, look, I'm going to fulfill the vision. I promised you I would, but I'm not going to be there with you. I'm going to give you the land, go and take the land, but I'm not going to be there with you. Y'all go ahead and worship. Y'all go ahead and pray. Y'all go ahead and do ministry, but I'm not going to be there with you. How would you respond to that? And because I think that we're a, a, a real spiritual people, I think that we would say that would upset me a great deal. But here's what I want to ask you. You get right down to it. I ask you this question. Would it really? Would it really upset you? I think about this with me. Isn't that what most people want? They want, they want God's blessings. They want God's gifts. They want God's um, promises in their life, all of the good things that God offers. But they don't, they don't want to do the work to have a relationship with God. I'm not talking about people outside the church. I'm talking about people inside the church. The picture is this. We have fast become a people who would be glad to have the blessings of God. We want the blessings of God. Even in our desperate times, in our desperate moments, we're desperate for God to fix our circumstances. We're desperate for God to make our lives right and desperate for God to do this and to do that and to do this. 
But when it comes down to it, listen and see if you don't agree, we're more desperate for those things than we are desperate for God. God says to his people, go up to the land, but I'm not going with you. And I I think at this point, the people of Israel had a choice to make. Either we take the blessings of God apart from God, apart from his presence, or we stay right here until the presence of God goes with us. We have the same choice today. We have the same choice today. We have the same choice today. Will we be dependent on ourselves as we move forward, or will we be desperate for his spirit? This morning, I want to give you four reasons why we must be desperate for his spirit. I know that the notes that I I gave you in the bulletin says why we must depend upon his spirit, but I changed that in my notes. I asked Vic to change that for the screens. It's more than just depending on his spirit. It's this heart. It's this attitude of desperation for the spirit of God to be present and to exhibit his power in our presence. We've got to be desperate for his spirit. Verses 12 and 13 of Exodus 33, Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I I know you by name. You have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, this nation is your people. So one of the reasons we must be desperate for his spirit is because it's the only way for us to accomplish the work that God has given us to do. Now, now hold on if you're thinking, you know what, we can accomplish it without God, like many think. Moses, Moses is saying, think about this conversation Moses is having with God. He's saying, there's a disconnect here. There's a, there's a discrepancy here. God, you're telling me to lead the people, but, but there's a disconnect between what you're telling me to do and the resources I have to do it. Moses is saying in this conversation, there's no way I can lead these people unless I have your presence. Moses in this conversation is saying, there's no way I can lead them into the promised land unless I know your mind, unless I know your ways and I know how you think. Teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Very clearly, Moses is saying, I can't accomplish the thing that you have given me to do apart from your presence. Jonathan Edwards, great, great preacher from the past, said this very, very simple statement. Only God is able to do the work of God. Only God is able to do the work of God. And I know that our response to that is, is, well, of course. But you think about it with me. We are a people who are so confident in ourselves. We're so confident in our ability, what we bring to the table, 
It's the American way of of self-sufficiency that says, I can do this Christian thing on my own. We can do this church thing on, on our own. We can figure it out. We can program Christianity in our lives, in our families, in our church. We can make this happen. If we put our best foot forward, we can make this successful. Dale, why do you say that? Do you really think that? I really think that. I see it all the time. Let's sit around the table and figure out how we're going to do this. Where's the Spirit of God in that? That's that's what the church, I think, in America has become. We can do this. You know, many times in our church family, we've talked about about men and men's responsibilities. There's responsibilities as as a husband, the responsibility as a dad, and leading their families in a way that honor God. Husbands, loving your wives as Christ loved the church. Husbands, being spiritual leader in their homes. And here's the question, men, which one of you in this room has the ability in and of yourself to do that apart from the power of the Spirit of God? How can you do that apart from the power of the Spirit of God? I want to suggest there's not a man in this room who can do that apart from the power of the Spirit of God. You can't lead your family to honor God. You can't be the spiritual leader in your home. You can't love your wife as Christ loved the church. You can't do it. It's not just husbands and dads. It's across the board. Children obeying parents. Wives learning to respect their husbands. Singles honoring Christ in singleness. Professionals working in the marketplace across this room, working in a way that honors God. Leaders in this church, leading this church family in a way that honors God. There's not a one of us here in this room this morning who can do those things on your own. You can't do it on your own. You need God to do the work of God. That's all God's work. In the home, that's God's work. In the marketplace, that's God's work. In this church, that's God's work. You look at this church. You look at Avalon Church. This people, the resources represented in this church. I'm not just talking about financial resources. I'm talking about a room full of people who have these incredible gifts and skills and talents and and, and great leadership abilities. And, and, And yes, there are financial resources. All of that together. And I think about this. Listen, I think about this. This is the way my mind will work sometimes. I think about the the, the people that God has gathered here, and I begin to think to myself, wow, what could we accomplish with what God has given us? What could we accomplish in the vision that he's given us with all of these resources? Can you imagine what this church could do behind a God-given vision? Could you imagine what we could accomplish? And I have come to the place where I understand now that's the wrong question entirely. And here's why it's the wrong question. 
Because this church can have all of the gifts and all of the talents and all of the skills and all of the best leaders in the city of Orlando. We can have all of the money in the world. But if this church does not operate in the power of the Holy Spirit, this church will accomplish nothing toward the mission that God has given us. Nothing. Nothing. It was Jesus who said, without me, you can do nothing. I believe that's interpreted in the, from the Greek, nothing. Zero. Nada. Apart from me, you can do nothing. On the other hand, I want you to think about this. This blows me away when I think about it. It's kind of a switch around. What if this church had the least amount of gifts and the least talented people and the most incompetent leaders and no money, but we had the power of the Holy Spirit of God? I think that kind of church can shake nations for his glory. I am convinced that we can accomplish more with the power of the Holy Spirit of God in 30 days than we can accomplish without the Spirit of God in 100 years. Now, here's the question. Do you believe that? I mean, really? God, help us to believe that. Help us to realize what small goals we have if we're living with what we bring to the table. Here's what Moses says to God. I need you to make this happen. God, make this church a church who in unison, in unity, says we need you to make this happen. Think about the practicality of this. Think about the implications of this. I, I use husbands again. If the only way you can live out your obligations as a husband or a dad is with the power of God, that means what that means is the place that you need to go on a daily basis is on your face before God, asking him to do his work in and through you. That's got to be a priority. If the only way you can accomplish God's work is with God, if the only way you can fulfill his calling on your life, then on a daily basis, we need to be on our face crying out to him in desperation that he would do that through us. Wives, men, students, the church, leaders, elders, staff, ministry leaders, volunteers. If only God can do the work of God, then we must cry out to God that he would do what only he can do. We have a vision we can't accomplish that's by God's design, that he would give us a vision that we can't accomplish. We need God to do everything. It's all God in us. It's Christ in us. I searched on the Internet, God is everything, and I found this quote. It's from St. Patrick. It's really simple. It says this, 
It should be Christ with me, Christ above me, Christ beneath me, Christ in me, Christ beside me, Christ in front of me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie, Christ when I sit, Christ when I rise, Christ in me. He is my everything. That's desperation. That's how God's vision is accomplished. Is he your everything? Completely, totally your everything. By the way, he's worth that. He's worthy of that. Do you feel that apart from his presence in your life, you cannot take a step forward? Are you living in that kind of dependence on God? Is God your everything? He has given us a vision that we can't accomplish Without his spirit, it's one of the reasons we must be desperate for his spirit. Here's another reason, because it's a privilege. We have a privilege. I want to read verses 12 and 13 to you. Moses said to the Lord, we read this earlier, Moses said to the Lord, See, you you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me, yet you have said, here's the important part for, for this point, you have said, I know you by name. And, and, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I found favor in your sight, show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. This is an incredible picture of, of intimacy that's depicted in the scriptures between God and Moses. God says, look, you know me. You know my name. He's not at all saying, hey, you can pick me out of a crowd. You recognize me when you see me. You remember who I am. This is Moses saying, you know me intimately. You've shown favor to me. Go back to the 11th verse. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Wow. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again to this camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. That's an amazing statement. It should be underlined in your Bible. He would speak to Moses face to face. Does it remind you of a New Testament passage of Scripture? I'll tell you where it's at. It's John 15, 15. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says to his disciples, no longer do I call you servants. I call you friends. Everything that I have, the Father gave me. And I am taking what I have, and I am giving it to you. You're my friends. That's John 15, 15. Not servants, but friends. Now, how does he do that? We need to take the time to read John 16, 16, and a few verses following. Jesus is talking to the disciples. He says, a little while, you will see me no longer, and again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of the disciples said to one another, what is that that he says to us, a little while, and and you will not see me? And again, in a little while, you will see me, because I am going to the Father. What what is that all about? What, what, What does he mean? So they were saying, what does he mean by little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, am I reading the right passage? 
John 16, 12, not 16, 16. John 16, 12. Back up, okay? All right, here we go. John 16, 12. Jesus is talking to the disciples. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. In John 15, 15, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. I take what is mine and I give it to you. How does he do that? He does that through the Holy Spirit who indwells every believer. This has great relevance to us, and this has everything to do with why we should be desperate for the Spirit in the matter of it's a privilege. I want to go back to Exodus 33. I want to read verses 7 through 10. Hold on with me. Here we go. Moses used to take the tent and pitch it. I want you to try and picture this in your mind, this this event that happened on a regular basis. Moses used to take the tent It was called the tent of meeting, by the way, to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all of the people would rise up and each one would stand at his tent door and they would watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all of the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all of the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Now imagine that and imagine the intensity of that situation. These people watching their representative going into this tent, what do you think they're thinking? They're thinking, wow, what a privilege Moses has to go into that tent and meet with God as a friend face to face, not literally face to face, the Bible tells us, but in the very presence of God and speak to God and interact with God. They saw that as a privilege that Moses Moses had. Now, if you can imagine the intensity of that, think about the intensity of this. Folks, we no longer have to wait for a representative to go into a tent to speak to God on our behalf. You and I, each of us, we have the privilege of going into the tent, of experiencing the presence of God himself face to face as a man speaks with a friend. This is a high privilege that Jesus Christ on the cross has granted for you and me. We don't have to watch some guy go into the tent. You live in the tent. You walk in the tent. You experience communion with God face to face as a man speaks with a friend. As friends of Jesus, Jesus Christ on high. You are his friends, and he communicates to you all that the Father is. And all that the Father has through his spirit, he communicates with you. And this is a privilege that we overlook and take for granted. But it's a privilege that we have, and if it's true, then how can we not live our lives on a daily basis on our faces before this God This privilege the people longed for and looked and watched for to take place in Old Testament days, you and I have it. You and I live in it. 
How can we forsake that privilege? Here's my prayer. God, make us a church that dwells in the tent. There is so much more that could be said about this. What the, the, the manifestations, the result, the outcome of being in intimacy with God and interacting with God within the tent. God is a friend. God speaking to us and sharing with us and guiding us and directing us and comforting us and how that impacts our lives. But the point this morning is, is this is a privilege that we have. We've got to be desperate for the Spirit in our desperation for the Spirit of God to to be involved in our life, to go with us. One of the things, one of the reasons we must be desperate for that is so that we we can partake of this privilege that we have of intimacy with God. What a privilege. We must be desperate for his spirit because we must not forsake the family. I want to read verses 14 and 15. Verses 14 and 15, God says to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. So God says, my presence will go with you. Moses says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Is there a disconnect there for you? God says, I'm going with you. Moses says, go with us. And it's like like one of those times when a a wife is talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and the husband is is not really, he's there, but he's not really there. And then she asks a question and and then he goes, huh? Uh, 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. That's never happened to me, but I've heard... (laughs) that it's happened to some. That's kind of that's what, what it seems like here. But the reality of the fact is that's not at all what happened. Moses knew exactly what God was saying, and he changes the conversation. Jesus, or I'm sorry, God is talking to Moses, and he's saying, okay, Moses, I'll go with you. And then Moses and the you there, the you there in that verse is singular. You, Moses, I'll go with you. And then Moses says, no, I want you to go with us. God says, I will give you rest. Moses says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us from here. What shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? This is 16. I and your people. Is it not in your going with us, us, the people, so that we are are distinct, I and your people? God was speaking in the singular, and Moses is speaking in the plural. Moses understood that he was part of a family, that he wasn't in this on his own. God said to Moses, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be with you. He says that to us, and we think, I've got the blessing of God on me. God has has chosen to bless me. And then we have this tendency to look down on on others because they don't don't have that blessing of God on their life. Others in the church, they're they're not quite up to where, where I am spiritually. We've got it. We're moving forward with the blessings of God. They are kind of left in the dust, but that's not what Moses does here. 
He says to God, I'm not going forward without them. I'm not going forward without your people. He realized that he was called to lead people, that he wasn't an individual, that he was part of a community of faith. He was, he was part of a people. He didn't just need the presence of God. They needed the presence of God. We, we miss this. I'm guilty of this. I've been guilty of this. We talk about the work of the Spirit of God. I've said this before. God, sin revival and let it begin with me. And I think there's an element of truth in that kind of heart. But what if God wants to bring revival not through me, but through us? What if God wants to use the family of God to display his glory in this city? What if we really belonged to each other? What if, we, what if the spirit that, that, that he's given us is the, is the spirit of unity that the New Testament teaches us about? What if we need to throw off bitterness and quarreling and complaining and gossip so that the Spirit can make this community of faith an incredible picture of the glory of God in our city and in our community. I love Moses' heart here. It's not just about me, God. It's about the people. It's only to accomplish the mission it's not only because we need to accomplish the mission. It's not only because we have this privilege of interaction and intimacy with the God of the universe. It's not only because we don't want to forsake the family, but the fourth reason we need to be desperate for God's spirit is because it's the only way God gets glory. Now, here's what I mean by that. We, we've talked about our purpose being to bring God glory, but I'm not, I'm not really headed in that direction. I'm, I'm saying that when we move forward with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it is opportunity, it will happen, that God's glory will be on display, that people will experience, will see God's glory Verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do for I have found favor in my, for you have found favor in my sight. I, I know you by name. In other words, okay, I'm going to answer your prayer just the way you asked it. And Moses said, please show me your glory. Now, Moses prayed, Moses asked, God said, I'm going to do exactly what you've prayed for. You would think Moses would say, thank you, Lord. I'm going to go back and talk to the people. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to exit now. Thank you, Lord. We're done here. But no, Moses, in this incredible, says, okay, now show me your glory. I want you to think about what that means. If anybody had already seen the glory of God, it was Moses. Remember up on the mountain? <laughs> the answer to why he would say, show me your glory, the, 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 the beauty of this is this. 
Once you taste the glory of God, you begin to get an insatiable desire for more and more and more of his glory. You long for more. You beg for more. You're desperate for more. You weep for more. You mourn for more. You wrestle for more. It's the testimony of men and women throughout Scripture. It is very, very clear that when men and women came to faith in Jesus Christ and experienced the reality of of God's love and God's forgiveness, they were never content just to accept Christ and move on with their lives as if their pursuit had stopped. Their pursuit had just begun. It's Paul in Philippians 3 saying, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. I want more of Christ. Have you grown content in your relationship with Christ? Have we grown content with our knowledge of God? Do we, do we have an insatiable thirst and hunger for him day after day after day that we would come to God and say, please show me your glory. I want to see more radiance. I want to see more splendor. It's what happens when we're desperate for the spirit. Avalon Church, let's, let's get on our faces and ask God to show us as much glory as we possibly can take. Give me all I can handle God, give us an insatiable desire for more and a thirst and a longing and a yearning, even even a weeping for more of his glory. We want to know you. It's more important than anything that we'll read on the internet or, or see on TV or any sports conversation that we might have this week. Do we want his glory. I mean, really, do we want his glory? Four things. Can't accomplish what he's given us to accomplish without his presence and power. Without his presence and power, we can't experience the privilege we have of intimacy with him. Without his presence and power, we leave the family behind. It's all about me. It's all about blessings on my life and my family, us four and no more. And if we're not desperate for his spirit, we won't see his glory. We need to be desperate for his glory. And I want to challenge you during the next few moments not to let your mind wander about what you're going to do after we dismiss I want you to fix your eyes on Jesus. I want you to fix your eyes on his character, on his attributes. I want to give you a few moments to just meditate on the glory of God. Would you do that? A few moments just to meditate on the glory of God, whether you're in your seats or or down here at the front on your knees. I want to invite you to fix your gaze on the glory of God. Consider his glory. Express to him your desire for more. I pray that God would make us a church that wants more of his glory. Here's what this is about. It's the question I started with. 
Will we be dependent on ourselves? Or will we be desperate for his spirit? Can you focus for a couple of minutes? God, we present ourselves to you humbly. Here we are before you with a recognition and an acknowledgement that too often we have tried to do your work without your power and your presence. We tried to be dads that we want to be without your power and presence. We tried to be moms that we want to be without your power and your presence. And, and businessmen and businesswomen and teachers and We've tried to be ministry leaders and elders and staff without your power and presence. We desperately need your spirit. Only you can do the work of God. Give us a hunger and a thirst for you. A desperation for your spirit in our lives. Spend just a minute conversation with God then I'll ask Arthur to have us stand and we'll worship him together